Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 59. It's titled, Is Gold Money? Now, just to start off, I want to let you know that I am recording this on April 1st, 2015. So this is almost a full two months before I release the episode. And typically, I record these episodes the usually the day before I release it. Sometimes if I'm traveling, I might be the week before, but I've never in the entire history of the podcast recorded something two months ahead. But we will, as you, if you heard some of the earlier episode 57, 58, have been traveling in Norway and Sweden. So on the day that this is released, which I believe is June 3rd, we will actually be on a flight coming back, heading back to Idaho that day. So that I mention it because I'm mentioning some prices of gold in this particular podcast, and by the time it's released, it it could be who knows where gold will be. But I wanted to start. There was a fascinating conversation that occurred July 2011. It was during a hearing of the House Financial Services Committee for the U.S., and it was between Congressman Ron Paul and Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke. And it was about gold and whether gold was money. And it is a fascinating conversation from the perspective of what was said, but what was not said. One of my favorite novelists and writers is Ron Carlson, who teaches at the University of California in Irvine, which is is one of the premier writing programs in the country. And I, several years ago, I think I mentioned this before. I, I took a writing class from him. I went on a writing retreat, and at the time I was writing a novel, and I, it was just fascinating to learn from a writer. But and one of the things that he talked about, he talked about one of the best ways you can tell if a book is well written is just go into the bookstore and open it up and look at the the dialogue between characters and and how well it's done because. What he said is, is dialogue or a conversation, it's like a dance, and everyone's sort of moving and jostling for position, and what is most important, he says, you know, what's under the boat? In, in the sense that what's, what's not being said? Yeah, there's words being spoken, but uh, as Suetsu Yanagi mentioned in The Unknown Craftsman, we can have speech without words. And much of conversation is not is what's not said. It's what's under the boat. And there is a lot under the boat in this conversation between Ben Bernanke and Congressman Ron Paul. And I'll link to the the, the video. It, and it's only it's a one minute conversation. So on the link to the video, the YouTube video, it's, it starts at minute four thirty and essentially lasts for a minute. Congressman Ron Paul says, is gold money? And Bernanke pauses for a moment. He might have even looked, glanced up at the ceiling. And perhaps he was thinking, I cannot believe that he asked me that. He almost seemed surprised. But he says, no, it's a precious metal. And later he says, it's a financial asset in the same way that a treasury bills are an asset. But then Paul says, well, then if it's not money, why do central banks 
hold gold. Bernanke says, well, it's a form of reserve. And Paul asks, well, why don't, why don't they hold diamonds? And Bernanke says, well, it's tradition. And that was it. That was the entire conversation. I and mean, there were certainly gaps in between. And as I sort of jostled, jostled, but it was definitely a dance. And there was a lot under the boat. And we were going to talk about what was under the boat. What was not said in that conversation? Because we want to ask the question, is gold money? Because back in episode 49, I said gold was money. And I was basing it on just a comment that James Rickards had mentioned in his book, Currency. No, it wasn't Currency Wars. It was the Death of Money book that I mentioned. And, And there, I referred to gold being money in the sense that it was not an investment, in, in that it didn't have a return and it didn't have risk. And, and even that is sort of a loaded conversation because it doesn't have a return because it just sits there as long as you price gold in gold. But the minute you price gold in some other currency, then its value starts to fluctuate. And Rickard's point was what's fluctuating is the confidence in the currency that it's the gold is being priced in, be it the dollar, the euro, not gold itself. And that is sort of a an argument that it you sort of flip it on the head, I guess, is what, what I'm trying to say. If something is falling in dollars, if stocks are falling in dollars, is that because confidence in the dollar is weakening or is it because confidence in stocks is increasing? You can say that by every asset class. But if we if we go back to this idea of reductionism, what is the base investment when we get down to it? What has been around for thousands and thousands of years and valued as an investment, or not even as an investment, just valued for its intrinsic worth that it's not used for anything? You could say gold. So gold's been around a lot longer than the dollar. So I guess those that are advocates of gold could make a pretty good historical case that gold was there first. So what we're really talking about when gold prices fluctuate, what's fluctuating is not gold. It's holding steady. It's the currency it's priced in. We'll leave that at that. The standard definitions of money, though, and and this is where I think Paul and Bernanke sort of differ because I, I believe Bernanke was looking at it from standard definitions of money. And there's three of them. One, it's a store of value. The second, a unit of account. And three, a medium of exchange. And when we go back to Bernanke's conversation, he said that gold is a financial asset in the same way a treasury bill is an asset. And an asset is something of value, something of value that is owned. If you look at any dictionary, that they'll, that's essentially what they'll say. An asset is something of value that is owned. And so something is a store of value if it can maintain its value over time, just like an asset. So if money is a store of value and an asset is something of value, then money is indeed an asset. So gold would be an asset, just as as Bernanke said. You could say the dollar is an asset because it is something of value that people hold. 
Now, when we talk about store value, it, it depends on, well, what's the time frame? Clearly, the dollar has not been a good store of value over the long term because of inflation. And that's effectively what inflation is. Inflation is the rise of, of the price of a basket of goods and services as priced in a given dollar. And if that, the price of those goods and services are going up in dollars over time, then the value of the dollar is falling relative to that price of goods and services, which is another way of saying we have inflation. And if you have inflation and it's affecting your currency, then that currency has not been a good store of value. And so when they say money is a store of value, they're talking about it really over a, a shorter time frame, not over a longer time frame. In order to outpace inflation, you typically need to convert your dollar to a real resource, something that generates income. In other words, convert it to an investment that then has some risk involved to it and risk as measured by volatility. Now, going back to gold, gold has generally been a good store of value. And later we'll look at some statistics, but and we'll look at it over a 20-year and three-year period, but you would say something really is a good store of value if it has outpaced inflation over time. And historically, gold has done that, but there have been 20-year periods and 30-year periods when gold has not outpaced inflation, so has not been necessarily a good store of value. But let's go to some of these other definitions, and in terms of what money is. A store of value, and, and well, let's, let's just look at what a dollar bill is, because we, we want to separate out, all right, money, when we talk about the dollar, you, we, we can get, it can get confusing, because we can talk about the actual paper, paper currency, because this was sort of also a conversation under the boat, speech without words, when we start talking about reserves, which was what kind of Paul and Bernanke were talking about in the, in the sense that it's a form of reserve, says Bernanke. And because Paul asked him, why do, why do central banks hold gold? Well, here's why, in theory, central banks hold gold, because central banks issue the paper currency. They might not print the paper currency, but if you look at a U.S. dollar, it has the term Federal Reserve note engraved on the top. And as of the the most recent data that I could find, it was an October 2014 Federal Reserve balance sheet. There were $1.2 trillion of Federal Reserve notes outstanding. So the value was $1.2 trillion. And so this is a balance sheet. So you have assets and liabilities. The reserve notes are listed on the liability side of the Federal Reserve balance sheet. And this goes back to episode 49. What is a currency in terms of a dollar? A dollar bill is essentially unsecured perpetual debt by the Federal Reserve that pays no interest. That's what it is. Now, you can't take that dollar bill and exchange it for gold. If you do that, all they'll give you is more dollar bills. If you if you happen to go to the Federal Reserve, not that they would <laughs> let you in. Not sure they would let me in. 
when central banks or currencies were on the gold standard, you could go to a central bank or another central bank could at least go to a central bank and get gold in exchange for the dollars. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now it's just a Federal Reserve note. They require, Congress requires that the Federal Reserve holds collateral equal to the Federal Reserve notes outstanding. And here's, here's what's interesting in the sense that Paul says, why do central banks hold gold? Bernanke says they hold them as reserves, but the Federal Reserve doesn't hold any gold anymore. Back in 1934, the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, Congress required the Federal Reserve to transfer all of its gold to the U.S. Treasury. And in place, the Federal Reserve got gold certificates. But the gold certificates are denominated in the U.S. dollar, and they're not redeemable. So even the central bank, the Federal Reserve, does not hold gold, actual gold, anymore. They have some gold certificates. Other central banks definitely hold real gold bullion. And one of the interesting things about China is they are continuing to increase their gold reserves, but are doing it not by buying in the open market. They've actually bought mines and are doing all the processing of the gold themselves. So it doesn't go through any of the gold markets like in London. It, they just, or they're mining the gold and moving it into the reserves. So other central banks hold gold. The, the Federal Reserve does not hold gold. They hold paper certificates. So those certificates serve partly as collateral. The other collateral that is backing the $1.2 trillion of Federal Reserve notes are U.S. Treasury bills. And so there it gets a little circular because we have essentially these dollars that these Federal Reserve notes, just the currency, the bills, they're backed by other paper, gold certificate and Treasury bills also denominated in dollars. And so that's why it's a fiat currency. There is really nothing backing the dollar. Now, also on the dollar are these words that are engraved. This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. And legal tender, if we look at the Coinage Act of 1965, Coinage Act, it says, United States coins and currency, including Federal Reserve notes and circulating notes of Federal Reserve banks and national banks, are legal tender for all debts, public charges, taxes, and dues. So that means the dollar is recognized by the court system as a legal payment to satisfy debt obligations. Now, your bank doesn't have to take currency. They can take a check or something else, but it is legal tender. There is one entity that requires payment, well, not necessarily in, in bills, but requires payment in dollars, and that's taxes. And we I referenced this back in episode 49. One reason we use dollars is because, as our currency, is because the, the Internal Revenue Service in the U.S. requires that taxes be paid in dollars, at least denominated in dollars. And if, if the government is requiring taxes be paid in dollars, the government is also spending in dollars, it's easier for employers to pay their workers 
in dollars because they, the taxes have to be paid in dollars. And so that, that does provide some reason why we use dollars to exchange and buy goods and services, which gets back to the second definition of what is money. Money is a medium of exchange. If we're using this money to buy things, exchanging dollars to buy goods and services, that is what is meant by a medium of exchange. Even though the dollar itself intrinsically isn't worth anything only because we We've just decided that it is worth a dollar and we price those goods and services in dollars and exchange them. That's what's mean. We don't do that for gold. We are not. You can, but it's not common. As you go to the store, goods are not priced in terms of gold. They're priced in terms of dollars. That is what Bernanke, I believe, when he says is gold money, he's looking at some of these other definitions. Yeah, it might be a store of value, but it is not a traditional, commonly placed medium of exchange. For that, we have other paper currencies, such as the dollar, the euro, the pound, the yen. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at NetSuite dot com slash david that's netsuite.com slash david netsuite.com slash david now the third definition of money is a unit of account and again this is where the dollar trumps gold by unit of account we're talking about how are things valued when you look at there are trillions and trillions of dollars of assets and liabilities throughout the world that are valued in U.S. dollars. If you look at a typical company's financial statement, it's valued in dollars. It is not valued in gold. And so, yeah, there's $1.2 trillion of currency outstanding, but there are trillions and trillions of dollars of other things that are not currency, right? They're just valued in dollars. Now, cash on a balance sheet is also valued in dollars, and that is money at the bank that's not necessarily in currency either. That's just digits on a balance sheet. So much of much of what underlies our our monetary system are Dutch digits, which I've talked about in episode one and other episodes. But they're digits that are denominated in US dollars because it is the unit of account 
that we use in the U.S. Other countries use other units of account. But that is why a dollar is money. It is a medium of exchange. It is a unit of account. Gold is not commonly used as an exchange. Gold is not commonly used as a unit of account. But gold is a better store of value than the dollar. Now, back to this conversation between Ron Paul and Bernanke. He said, Bernanke said, well, why do people hold gold? And, he, and they hold it in the event of tail risk, which are, tail risks are extreme, small probability events. Really, really bad outcomes is how Bernanke termed it. An example would include severe financial cr- crisis or collapse of the monetary system because the trust that underlines the dollar would be violated, right? Because there is a great deal of trust. If we are using this medium of exchange to store value, it is because we believe the dollar is worth something in everyone's mind. If that trust, for whatever reason, gets violated, if we go into hyperinflation because, for whatever reason, just the amount of dollars flowing through the economy increase primarily because of, of so much lending going on, but perhaps because... The, the government, the federal government, just runs 10, 12, 15% as a percent of GDP deficits or whatever, you know, a coup, or it could be any type of thing that just a tail risk, right? Something extreme, you could lose confidence in the dollar. That's why people might want to hold gold. Now, how well has gold been a store of value? If we go back to 1933, gold was $36 an ounce. Today, Beginning of April, it's approximately $1,200 an ounce. Fair value in terms of CPI for gold. In other words, we just adjust gold for the price of inflation or inflation. It should be worth $622 an ounce. So gold has outpaced inflation going back to 1933. But if we look at 30-year holding periods, generally the most recent 30-year holding period through March, gold has returned 4.5% per year versus CPI, which has returned 2.7%. So gold has outpaced inflation over the most recent 30-year period. But if we look at the 30 years through 2010, gold didn't. Gold returned 1.5% per year versus inflation of about 3%. If we look at 20-year periods, well, let's go back to 2005. The 30-year period ended in 2005, inflation was 4%, gold was 3%. So there are periods where gold does not, is not a store of value. And the reason why is it goes back to what I've, I've talked in earlier episodes about commodity super cycles. Gold will trade just like other commodities over long periods of time. For example, over a 20-year period from 1980 to 2000, 1999, that was a bear market for commodities. It was, and then a super cycle began in 1999 through 2011. But from 1980 to 2000, gold lost 4% per year annualized. Inflation was 4%. That was a commodity bear market. Gold did not outpace inflation. In fact, for the 20 year period ending 1998 through 2010, so 20 years ending 1998, 20 years ending. 20, 2002, 2005, all those rolling 20-year periods, gold trailed inflation. What hasn't, what has done better than in terms of outperforming inflation, keeping pace with inflation, 
if I look, I'm going back to this, the same chart I'm looking at. This was from Ned Davis Research. They did the calculation. Stocks. Stocks have outperformed, have been a great store value, much better than gold. Yeah, gold generally does store value and or is a store of value. But if we look at an investment that has done well, every 20 and 30-year period, if I go back really to the 30s, stocks have outperformed inflation. The most recent in this chart, the 30-year period ending March 31st, 2015, S&P annualized return 11%, CPI 2.7%. 20-year period ending March 31st, 20 years, 9.5%. Annualized for the S&P 500, 2.2% for inflation. So there are investments that do a better job about pacing inflation. Now, stocks are an investment, but they can be volatile, and you don't want all your assets in stocks. Gold has generally done a good job except during commodities bear markets over the long term it definitely has but there can be long periods of time where gold is not a store of value it doesn't outpace inflation so holding gold and i do hold and i did buy a a very small amount back in march it's less than one percent of my net worth i did it i got one email after that particular episode and the the listener was confused because it was right after I'd done the episode on secular bull markets. So that would be episode 48. And then the next episode, 49, I'm talking about buying gold. I bought gold not at that time, mainly because I wanted to go through the process of buying physical gold, of having it sent to my house via UPS, a cur- overnight courier, and, and just look at it, right? And feel it. And it is surprisingly heavy. And then I put it in, this, in the safety deposit box and I ignored it. But I would would rather, and I prefer to use other investments, real resources that generate income, such as stocks, such as master limited partnerships, real estate, to really be able to outpace inflation, to really be a store of value. So to finally answer the question, is gold money? By a traditional definition, it's not. Yes, it's a store of value, but it is not what we commonly use as a medium of exchange or a unit of account. For that, we're using the dollar. Is gold money in terms of has it been around a long time? And could there be a time, when we, again, when we use it at, as money? Perhaps. We could go back to the gold standard or just use gold. We can go on a personal gold standard, as I mentioned in episode 49, by buying some gold and using it for really for some diversification in your portfolio. But if you do it, you want to hold physical gold as opposed to necessarily an ETF or futures because the idea, just as Bernanke said, it's tail risk. It's for extreme events. And for an extreme event tail risk, I wouldn't want my gold in the form of a paper asset held at a brokerage account. I'd rather it be physical stored either well, you could store it in a safe or store it in a safe deposit box. So that is episode 59. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide. And I'll email those show notes to you weekly. I continue to email those show notes even while I was on vacation in Norway and Sweden. 
And so you can get that. That's also I'm answering listener questions and providing other valuable content. So that's at moneyfortherestofus.net. There are some questions, though, that are more in-depth, and I can't answer them on the Insider's Guide, but they're not so in-depth that they take up a full 30-minute Money for the Rest of Us episode. For those, I answer on the Money for the Rest of Us hub. That's where we can explore some of these topics in more depth. And examples of, of recent questions I've gotten from listeners that I answered on the hub was about mutual fund fees and, and more in-depth question on what are the fees and costs that make up mutual funds. Somebody also asked, what is a guaranteed investment contract that's found in stable value funds? And we talked about traditional GICs and synthetic GICs, or guaranteed investment contracts. So those in-depth topics can be found on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. If you want some more information on that, you can go to moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your risk profile, your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. I'm simply providing general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.